listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today I'm beginning a new three-week series called Here Comes the Bride, and it's not what you think. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, it's not what you think. I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on that in just a moment. But um, one day Adam was sitting in the Garden of Eden, and he and God were having a conversation. They were just talking, and Adam said to God, he said, he said, Lord, you've been so good to me. He said, you've given me life. He said, you've given me the purpose of, of naming every animal. And, and look at all this, this fruit. He said, you've given me plenty of food to eat. He said, you've made me comfortable. You, you've, you've kept me well fed. You've blessed me with a sense of purpose. He said, God, you've been good to me. However, I'm feeling quite lonely. He said, Lord, is there anything that you can do to fix my loneliness? And God replied, and he said, Adam, I can. He said, I will give you a partner, a helpmate. He said, she shall be called Eve. She will stand by you. She will support you. She will lift you up when you're down. She will, will be at your right hand whenever you ask. She, she will bear you children, and, and, and she will enforce your rules. She'll raise them to your liking. He said, Adam, she is going to feed you. She's going to clothe you. She is going to take care of you. She will be beautiful. She will be graceful. She will be warm. She'll be kind, caring, thoughtful. And, and Adam, she's always going to be there for you. But it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Adam contemplated for a moment. and He looked back at God. And he said, what can I get for just a rib? <laughs> just a rib. I want to be very clear. This is not a series about marriage, okay? It's not about you and your wife or you and your husband. It, it, it is about a marriage. It's just not about necessarily your marriage, okay? It's, it, it's just not what you're thinking. So men, I want you to settle down. I'm not about to fix your wife. It's not happening, not with this series. And, and ladies, you and I both know that your husband is beyond repair, so I'm not even attempting that. Um, this is a series about the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ, which is the church. And that includes all who have called on the name of Jesus Christ and are saved. So if you are a Christian, if you profess Jesus Christ as, as Lord of your life, this is about you. This is about us. And I'm afraid sometimes, church, that there's this disconnect, especially with men. I, I want to recognize that. There's this disconnect, especially with men, because we are referred to as the bride of Christ. And sometimes it's hard for us to relate to that. Let me assure you today that this is not promoting cross-dressing in the church. This is not about gender reassignment in the kingdom of God. Okay, That's not what this is about. I don't want to, to, to mislead anyone. But there is a reason why God chose the particular phrase, the bride of Christ, when referring to the church. And it's something that we have to embrace. And in order to embrace it, we have to understand it. And, and, and in this series, I want to help us make sense of that. And, and today, I have to tell you, is going to be extremely foundational. I, I'm going to teach more than I preach today. So just buckle up. There's a lot of information. I've got to, to lay this foundation because it's necessary to lay the, the groundwork to build this series upon because if you don't have an understanding of today, you're never going to understand where we're heading with this series. And so, like I said, today is very foundational, but it is necessary. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm not even going to call us to, to a, a place of action with this, okay? It's just a place of understanding. I need to transfer some knowledge to you so that you understand this. And hopefully, hopefully, you'll understand your God even more by the time you walk out of this room. And so I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 2 today. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to begin with verse 7, and then I'm going to go down to verse 15. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It reads, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of, of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, now listen to Adam's response, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You, you, you don't think that guy was tired of looking at animals? This was, was a sight for sore eyes right here, man. This guy, he, he says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Somebody say one flesh. Adam. Adam was the first man created. Think about that. Adam was the very first human being ever created, formed of the dust of the ground, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, filling his lungs with the very breath of God, causing him to become a living being. When you think about Adam, you know, he, he didn't have an overprotective mother. He was the first man. He, he didn't have an abusive father. He was the first one. He was not bullied by his older siblings or picked on by his relentless uncle. He was the first man. The first human being to ever live. And God created Adam, well, after God created Adam, he, he then, the Bible says that he created a, a garden in the east called Eden. And it was there that God gave him occupational purpose by putting him in the garden to work it and to keep it. It, it gave him purpose. Let me, let me explain this to you. It's going to help you understand your husband uh, a little bit more or maybe your, your, your son or, or even your grandson, depending on their age. I'm telling you, this will help you understand men. Some of you have heard me teach this. I'm not going to stay long on it. But every man needs purpose. The reason why some of you are miserable right now, men, is because you've lost purpose. You, you, you can't find purpose in life 
Every man needs purpose. And, and when God created Adam, he created Adam task-driven. His first, his first task, the first thing God called him to do was to take care of the garden. And so, like Adam, we, as men, we are created task-driven. And, and life is incomplete for us when we are struggling with our occupation, where we're struggling on our jobs, when it's not bringing fulfillment to us, when, when we are jobless, when we do not have a job. It, it, it's a struggle for us. It's a hard blow to the ego because we are created task-driven. I, I can often pinpoint a man's struggles of discontentment and, and, and being unsatisfied on the job but because every Every man needs a vocational purpose. God created Adam task-driven, and men find their worth in what they do. So God gave Adam purpose. He created him that way, and, and, and he gave him a job. And, and, and let me tell you, it just wasn't any job. It was a divinely ordered job. God had ordained that job for him to put him in the garden and to take care of it. And let me tell you something, men. There's something about finding that place where God wants to put you. When you know that you know that God has placed you in that occupation, it brings a certain amount of fulfillment to your life. Adam had purpose. God had a job for him. And it was to tend to and take care of the garden but even with all of that purpose, even divinely anointed purpose in his life, life was still incomplete for Adam. There was still a void there. Adam was lonely, and God recognized that it was not good for the man to be alone. Let, let me say this to you. I think when God stepped back and he looked at Adam and recognized his loneliness, God saw in Adam what he sees in himself. He knew that he needed a bride because God longs for a bride. And there's something that he looked at and he saw in Adam that God certainly recognized in himself that it was not good for him to be alone. God then caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. It, it was divine anesthesia is what it was. I mean, can you imagine the rest that Adam got when God put him to sleep? Man has never slept so good. As a matter of fact, uh, it's proven that that was the last full night's sleep that a man has ever had. That was it. That was, when God put him to sleep, that was the last time man has slept a full night. Um, because think about it. When he woke up, there was a woman. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God performed the first surgical procedure there in the Garden of Eden. He opened up Adam's side. He removed a rib. And then he filled that spot with flesh, bringing healing to his side. God then takes the rib. And he uses the rib to form Eve. With intricate detail, I might add. I'll get to that in a moment. But when God made Adam, he just quickly formed him out of the dirt, out of the clay. The, the Hebrew word there is yatsar. It just means to, to get, gather something together and form it with your hands, yatsar. He yatsared Adam is what he did. He just gathered up some dirt, some clay. He formed it, and it's, it's like playing with Play-Doh. God was just playing with Play-Doh when he made Adam. Doesn't this explain a lot about your husband? He just, he just formed it together, reached down, and just breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and, and there he was. He was alive. You see, the groom was formed, but the bride was fashioned. 
There's a, di- a difference there. And you see, some of you, even though this isn't a marriage series, you're going to start understanding your spouse a whole lot more during this, okay? He formed the groom, but he fashioned the bride. It's important to understand, though, that Eve was first created in Adam. Don't miss this. Eve was first created in Adam. Then she was brought into existence as a separate entity as God created the woman. Eve was then presented back to Adam as a helpmate suitable for him, thus becoming one flesh. Without Eve, Adam was incomplete. With Eve, he was now complete. Like Adam, uh, Eve was incomplete without him, but with Adam, she was now complete. And together, they were one flesh. In order, church, for you to understand the significance of this, you must gain an understanding of the bride of Christ. That's what this series is about. It's about the bride of Christ. And we, we have to understand who we are as the bride of Christ. If we're ever going to receive the fullness of God, if we're going to understand what God wants to do in and through our lives, if if we want to know more about our God, we've got to understand our role as the bride of Christ. Adam and Eve are just a foreshadow of who we are in Christ Jesus. You see, he was the first man, Adam. But there was a second man, Adam. And the second man, Adam, that we find in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, his name is Jesus, the Son of God. And the second man, Adam, he didn't mess it up. You see, he was sinless. He knew no sin. He was a man that knew no sin. He walked this world and, and, and he knew how to fight temptation from the enemy and he stood his ground and his authority and he did not succumb to the temptation of Satan. He was a man that knew no sin. But not only was he sinless, but, but Jesus Christ provided a way out of our sin. This is important because what we have to understand, and listen, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just stating facts from the word of God you, you must understand that Eve sinned first. Women, I'm not blaming you. Don't, don't, I mean, I know he's elbowing you right now, and he's like, it's your fault. I told you it was your fault. It's not your fault. It was Eve's fault. Eve sinned first. But I'm not putting all the blame on Eve. Listen to this, Genesis 3 and 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So understand, she ate first, and then she offers the fruit to him from the forbidden tree, the tree that God said, don't eat from. You can eat from everything else, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She allowed the enemy to tempt her. She wanted to know what God knew, and and, and she fell into sin when she ate the fruit, but then she turned to Adam and she said, you eat too. And I'm not exactly sure what was going through his mind. Maybe he just realized, girl, you're in trouble, and you're the best thing that I've seen. I don't like these other animals. I don't want to reproduce with these other animals. I want you, woman, and if you're in sin, I'm in sin. I don't know. Maybe that's what went through his mind. Something happened, and he was not strong enough to stand for righteousness. He was not strong enough to obey the word of God, the word that God said, don't eat from this tree. Eve sinned first, but Adam was not strong enough to fight the temptation, and therefore he sinned. And when he sinned, Adam could no longer redeem her from her sin. He could not lead her back to God. He could not lead her back to righteousness because now he was separated from God because of sin also. Most people don't understand 
that like Eve was in Adam, we were in Christ from eternity. I'm telling you, just, you need to sit up straight. You need to pay attention because this, this is mind-boggling. You didn't begin when you were born. You didn't even begin when you were conceived. Our finite thinking, we, we don't understand this. But Scripture tells us differently. Jeremiah 1 and 5, God says, before, somebody say before. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not when I formed you in the womb, not after I formed you in the womb. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Ephesians 1 and 4. Even before he made the world, before he made the world, before creation, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before creation, Scripture tells us we already were. Humanity began before we were created as separate living beings. And what you have to understand is that his DNA, God's DNA, is within us. God's DNA is within us. Scientists tell us that our bodies have three billion, three billion genetic building blocks or what is also called base pairs. Three billion genetic building blocks, base pairs that make us who we are. Of those three billion base pairs, only a tiny amount are unique to each one of us as individuals, making us 99.9% genetically similar to the next human. 99.9% similar to the next human. That means look at the person next to you. You are 99.9% just like them. You hate that, don't you? Or for some of you, you're like, yeah, I am. 99.9% similar. There is only a small portion of you that makes you you. We all share the same DNA genetically, We are almost the same. How is it that we all are so similar in our DNA structure? It's because we existed in him before the world was created. We were before the world was created. But the bride of Christ, oh God, please let us see this. Let us get this revelation in our spirits today, God. The bride of Christ could not be formed into existence until the bridegroom was put to sleep, and his side was opened up. John 19, verses 28 through 34. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. 
But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Let me explain this to you, what what just happened. Jesus is hanging on a cross between two thieves. When he says, it is finished, and he, he dies on the cross, when Jesus gives up the spirit, when he dies on the cross... What everyone, what all the Jews were worried about is that Sabbath was approaching. At sundown, Sabbath begins. And they're concerned about getting these bodies off the cross, the followers of Christ. They want to make sure that they have ample time to get him off the cross and to get him buried. And so they go to the Romans and they tell them, can we break their legs? The reason why they wanted to break their legs is because when you were hanging on a Roman cross, a torture device, by the way, when you're hanging on that torture device and, and you're struggling to catch your next breath, they would push up with their feet just to give their, their lungs some room to move so that they could catch that next breath and it would prolong their death. If they break their legs, they have no way to push up on that cross and get the next breath. So the Jews are like, can you just break their legs so that we can go ahead and get this thing over with? They go to one of the thieves. They break his legs. They go to the other one, and they break his legs. They get to Jesus, but Jesus had already declared it is finished, and he was already dead. To make sure that he was dead, one of the Roman soldiers grabs a spear. He walks over to Jesus hanging on the cross, and he punctures his side and when he does it the bible says that blood and water spewed out the bridegroom the second man adam jesus christ was put to sleep his side was opened up and when his side opened up blood and water flowed out representing redemption and life blood had to be shed for the redemption of sins. We know that water represents life. When blood and water flowed out of him, it signified redemption for our sins and life everlasting that comes to all who believe. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. I love how the apostle Paul so carefully constructs this letter. Listen to what he says. Husbands, love your wives talking about earthly marriage husbands love your wives let's talk about this this marriage set in eternity as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Why? Because they're one flesh. No one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What is wrong with Paul? I I love what he does because he's giving instructions to husbands and wives, but he makes it very clear that he's also referring to Christ and the church. And I can almost picture the people reading this. Paul, Paul, what is wrong with you? Are, Are you talking about marriage? Yes. 
Am I talking about a relationship with Christ? Yes. And it's almost as if you cannot distinguish between the two. In order, church, for us to understand what's happening in and through you right now, I'm talking about you, everybody in this room that knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In order for you to understand what's happening in your life right now, you must understand what God was doing to bring Eve into existence and his present work right now on the body of Christ. You cannot, you must not separate this. You must come to an understanding. Genesis 2 and 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. He made into a woman. This Hebrew word is different than yatsar. It's not the same way that Jesus, or, or, or that, that, that God rather, how, how he formed and created man. It's different. This Hebrew word is banah, and it means to build with complexity and intricate details. When he formed man, he yatsard man, and, and he just took some clay, formed it out, breathed into it. But when he created woman, he put the man to sleep because it was going to take a while. Oh, God, some of you men know exactly what I talk. She's wired, isn't she? Because God created her with intricate detail. When God started creating woman, when he started creating Eve, God took his time. He knew that this was going to be a masterpiece and that she was going to bring a completion to man. And he was going to build her with complexity and intricate details. In other scriptures, this same Hebrew word is used to describe the intricate construction of the temple, an altar, a home, or even a city. The word banal was used when the craftsmen built Solomon's temple with all of its, its, its grandeur, with all of its splendor, every detail, all of the design. The same word is used. Don't miss this. Eve was created in Adam. She was taken out of Adam. She was built with intricate detail. God took his time and he built her into a bride. And then he brings her and presents her back to Adam. I want you to listen to the verbiage that Jesus used as he was talking to Peter and to the other disciples in Matthew 16 and 18. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will what? Say it louder. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The Greek word that's used here for build, it carries the same value as the Hebrew word banah. It means to construct a house or a building in detail. It's also used in the New Testament when Jesus spoke about the man that built his house upon a rock. He also used this word to describe the temple being destroyed and that in three days it would be rebuilt. Jesus told Peter, he says, I'm going to build, I'm going to construct the church, the church, the bride of Christ. He says, I'm going to build the bride of Christ. Why is this important? Because church, the time is coming when the bride will be presented back to the bridegroom. We started in him in eternity and there's coming a day that we, the bride of Christ, will be presented back to him without spot, without blemish. We will be whole. We will be healed. We will not have the temptations. We will not have the sin to deal with. And right now what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in my life as a child of God is he is recreating us right now to present us to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. 
Tim, let's land this plane, man. Let's do this thing. I promise you what I'm about to do is not going to become a habit. I've got to refer to my book. And you guys were so gracious last Sunday. Thank you for letting me have a great lunch day. You, you were just amazing. And, and thank you so much. And just continue to pray. But I, I've heard it said, I even heard it said by a former youth pastor of Saddleback Church, um, where Rick Warren pastors. And I, I heard it said one time that after Purpose Driven Life came out, that just a couple of years later, the entire church was sick of hearing about Purpose Driven Life because they created Purpose Driven Life book, they had Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, they had Purpose Driven Church, they were Purpose Driven Out. I don't want to do that to you, okay? So we're going to be careful with that. However, it's only been out one week. I reserve the right to quote it this week, right? It's important that I share this with you. In the first chapter of Big Dreams in a Small Town, I briefly mention I briefly mention the names of two people, Wayne and Shirley Schenholzer. They were members of my dad's church in Perry when he pastored there. I was just a child. Wayne was the volunteer church clerk. Shirley was the part-time secretary at the church, also working a full-time job outside of the church. And together, they coordinated the children's ministry in that little church. And to this day, I'm telling you, it was, it's probably one of the most dynamic children's ministries I've ever seen run by volunteers. It, it, was, it was first class. I describe these people as a modern-day Priscilla and Aquila when I think of them. Unfortunately, in 2021, we buried Wayne after a lengthy battle with Parkinson's disease. With my dad deceased, I was asked to take part in his funeral, and I had the opportunity to eulogize him. It was a great honor in my life to honor such a great parishioner, just a, a great church member, a great man of God. At his funeral, I was privately told that his wife had just been diagnosed with cancer also. This caregiver for him was now starting her own fight. Almost one year later, just, just a few months ago, we buried Shirley after a quick battle with cancer. I'm so thankful to God that I got a copy of the manuscript of the first chapter of Big Dreams in a Small Town to their daughter. And their daughter went and read that first chapter to her so that they could see how much they meant to me, how much they were appreciated, and the impact that they had on my life. Growing up under Wayne and Shirley's ministry in their children's church, they taught me a number of Bible verses and lots of songs, lots of hand motions, things that you'll never forget as a child. I, I, see, I'm convinced that we have a limited amount of, of hard drive up here, and there are just some things that, that are stored in there that they're there forever. Like, I can't erase those things, and then there's other things like things Mandy told me yesterday that I can't remember today because my hard drive is full, right? Well, there's songs, there's Bible verses, there's songs about Bible verses that these two people taught me that are forever etched in my head. In its most simplistic form, this is so elementary, 
But the complexity of everything I just told you today is summed up in this song that they taught me that some of you may know called He's Still Working on Me. If you know it, sing it with me. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. We were created out of Christ Jesus when the bridegroom went to sleep and his side was open now God says I can create the bride of Christ that will one day be presented back to my son He loves you too much to leave you alone. His desire for your life is to create you into the image. They were created in the image of God. He wants to create you into the image of Christ. It is from Him you have come. It is to Him who you will return. He wants to create. So right now, God has your life in His hands. And it's banah. He is forming, he is creating with intricate detail. You don't always understand it, but you don't have to. You just have to trust it. That God is creating you to present you back to the bridegroom. Father, I thank you that you are still working on me to create me what you want me to be. God, help us to see, help us to understand that you're still working on us, that you've got a desire to create us to be the perfect, spotless bride. And Lord, we can't accomplish that on our own. We are powerless when it comes to sin. But Lord, our lives in your hands, as you benign, as you create, as you build our lives with intricate detail, down to the smallest of details, Lord, it is only through that that we conquer sin. It is only through your hands, Lord, through what you're making in us, that we will be presented as sinless and spotless to the bridegroom. So Lord, we just submit our lives right now. We just put our lives in your hands. Do in us what you will. Cleanse us, Lord. Wash us, Lord. Reprogram us, Lord. 
Please, every head bowed and every eye closed. Please, no one looking. If you're here and you have yet to make Jesus the Lord of your life and you know you need forgiveness, you want to know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ, you want to know that you will spend eternity in heaven with Christ and not eternity in hell separated from Christ. If that's you, I'm going to make this so easy on you. I promise you, I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not asking you to come forward. But here's what I do want you to do is to be very honest right now and say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I want to know that I'm forgiven. If that's you, no one's looking. No one's looking. I will not embarrass you. But I want you to raise your hand high right now. Let me see who I'm praying for. Come on. Raise it high. Thank you. Someone else that would say, Pastor, please pray for me. Yes, thank you. Leave it up. Leave it up. Leave it up. Thank you. Someone else. Someone else. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Church, if you will, I want you to look up at me. There's four people in this room that said, I need Jesus. I want to be forgiven today. Amen. It takes courage. Listen, it takes courage, and that's, that's a hard thing to come to grips with, to realize where they're at spiritually, but we're going to help them right now. Because if you raised your hand, you, you need to pray right now, and I'm going to give you the prayer to pray. You're going to repeat after me, but everybody in this room is going to say the prayer to give you the courage that you need to say this boldly, to say it loudly, but you've got to mean these words from your heart. Make my prayer your prayer today. And so church, let's look to heaven right now. Let's, let's all look to heaven. Let's all say it together. Say, dear Lord. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again, giving me eternal life. And today, I make him the Lord of my life. In his name I pray, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, now really quick before we move on, really quick, listen to me. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something. And this is so important for your spiritual walk. And the enemy is about to try to talk you out of it. Go ahead and set it in your mind right now. I will not let the enemy convince me otherwise. Here's what I want you to do. At the end of this service, when everyone is dismissed and we're all leaving the room, our prayer team is going to be around the front here. And they've got a book that we want to give you. It's not going to cost you anything. It's free. It's our investment into your spiritual walk. But this book tells you all about your next steps. We want you to have that book. And so they're not going to ask you for, for information. It's not a way to gather your phone number or, or email address or anything like that. It, that's not going to happen, okay? But you need to come down to the front and you need to tell them these words. Today, I made Jesus the Lord of my life. That's all you have to say and they're going to give you this book. If you forget what to say, they'll help you. Just tell them, I know I'm supposed to say something, but I can't remember what I'm supposed to say. And they'll help you, okay? Today I made Jesus the Lord of my life. Now, it's important that you do that because this is your first testimony. Okay, the book's important, but this is more important. It's your first testimony. And Revelation chapter 12 tells us that we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. That's what Christ did for you. He died for you. And the word of our testimony, this is your first testimony, and this is what gives you strength. The more you testify of what Christ has done in your life, the more strength you'll have. And so don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I've done this. Many in this room have done this. They've done this also. Just when everyone's dismissed, come down to the front. Tell one of our prayer team members, today I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And declare that over your life today. And watch what God begins to do with you. 
Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.